So, uh, who remembers Daniel? <laughs> yeah, the old Danny boy. <laughs> For most of the first few months of this calendar year, I was preaching through a series of sermons uh, focused on the life of Daniel. And then about a month ago, uh, we put a bookmark in there uh, and we, we did some Easter seasonal themed messages. Today we come back to the life of Daniel and this is the concluding message. I, I, we had just one leftover message to do and it's just kind of the way it worked out on the calendar. So we have to come back to Daniel. We're going to have one message on Daniel today and then we'll move on to other things in the coming weeks. I feel like because we've been gone from Daniel, we left that bookmark in there I think four Sundays ago, uh, it's best to review just quickly kind of where we've been. You'll remember, I hope, the story of Daniel's life as a young adolescent, we're guessing maybe 14, 15 years old. Daniel had been taken into captivity from his native Jerusalem uh, to serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. The Babylonians had come and conquered Jerusalem, had, had destroyed it. Eventually they would destroy it completely, but they took Daniel and a handful of others as captives to serve their king. Now throughout his life, Daniel had faithfully served Nebuchadnezzar, and not just Nebuchadnezzar, but when Nebuchadnezzar died, a series of other Babylonian kings also became Daniel's employers. And all the while, as Daniel's doing this, uh, from time to time, he's getting reports from back in his homeland about the ongoing ruin of his beloved Jerusalem. Over time, Daniel becomes an expert, not only in the righteous ways of God, but also in understanding the ruinous culture that he lived in. Now, God had given Daniel some great, miraculous, prophetic gifts. God had also given Daniel tremendous favor with the kings that he served. But even so, even with those wonderful tools in Daniel's toolbox, uh, his life had been in danger many many times. Now eventually, after quite literally a lifetime of service to the Babylonians, the empire of Babylon falls to the Persian empire. And a lot changed. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. Isn't that true? So Daniel remained in government service under the Persians and many of his difficulties remained as well. This is when Daniel, for instance, had his famous incident in the den of lions. Eventually, Cyrus the Great, the great emperor of Persia, he, he takes the throne. And when he did so, he decreed that these Jews who had been living in captive in Babylon, they could return to their homeland. He said, we don't need you here. We don't need you anymore. Go back, rebuild your cities, rebuild your temples. You're still subject to us, but go live in your land as you will. And so the exiled Jews returned in mass to Jerusalem, the problem for Daniel is he was too old to make a journey like that at this point in his life. And so he stayed in Babylon. And what we find out is that in short order, Cyrus actually granted him a very, very well-earned retirement. And so that's how we find things at the beginning of Daniel chapter 10, which is where we'll begin today. The year is now either 537 or 536 BC. The Bible tells us it was the third year of Cyrus's reign. We're not sure if they counted a year zero or a year one. So depending on how they were counting, you can mark this on your timeline as either 537 or 536. That would put Daniel in his mid, perhaps even late 80s 
And he's now about two years into his retirement, still living in the Persian Empire. The opening verses of chapter 10 tell us that Daniel had spent about three weeks in mourning and fasting and praying. We don't know exactly why or what triggered that, but he had received some sort of inclination in his prayer time with God that that was very troubling to him. And as a result of that, he was praying to God. He was fasting, asking God for further understanding. And then we find out that one day he's out with a group of men on the banks of the Tigris River. Actually, Daniel, in his typical fashion, tells us exactly what day this occurred. He tells us the, the, the month and the date on the Persian calendar, but we know enough about Persian history to translate that. So we know exactly what date the events we're going to talk about today happened. If you have the New Living Translation of Scripture, it, it translates it into our calendar and it tells you that what we're about to read occurred on April 23rd. Anybody know what day it is today? How cool is that? On April 23rd. So literally on this day, 2,559 years ago, the prophet Daniel was standing on the banks of the Tigris River with a group of guys. And suddenly there are bright flashes of light. And the guys that he's with, we don't know who they were, but they run away in fear. Daniel doesn't run away, though. He can see what they can't see, which is that within the flashes of light, there's an angelic figure who's arriving with a message for him. So he doesn't leave, but that doesn't mean he's not afraid. He's certainly very afraid, scared enough to faint. And so the angel arrives and lifts Daniel back to his feet revives him and gives him this message. I'm going to read to you now from Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And so now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For this vision concerns a time yet to come. What we just read is is one of the richest passages in the entire Bible in terms of what it tells us about angels and demons and warfare in spiritual realms. There's a lot of different passages in the Bible that speak to this, but this gives us some of the most vivid imagery. It tells us, for instance, that angels and demons operate in some sort of organizational hierarchy. It tells us that angels and demons engage in battle against each other. It tells us that angels and demons are given responsibility or authority over specific geographical and political entities. Did you catch that? He refers to one of the demons as the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. But most importantly, for our purposes today, this passage demonstrates that there is a spiritual battle that impacts our lives. There's warfare in the heavenlies, we sometimes say. That's a real thing. And this part of Scripture is showing us whether we recognize it or not, whether we see it or not. Daniel didn't know what was going on. It impacts our lives. 
About 600 years after the life of Daniel, another author of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, would very famously write in his letter to the Ephesians, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Now that was written 600 years later, but I think Daniel already knew that to be true. And his visit here with this angel gives him an incredibly clear understanding of just how real spiritual warfare is. There are some very important things for us to learn from Daniel's experience here. First, you may not have seen the answer to your prayer yet, but that doesn't mean that God hasn't heard you. And also, it doesn't mean that the answer is not already on its way. What it does mean is that you have, if you haven't seen the answer to your prayer yet, you can continue to pray. You can continue to pray. Pray not only for God to answer your prayer, but pray that his angels would be strengthened in the battles they fight. This is how we wrestle, as the Apostle Paul put it. This is how we wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil. There's a song that we sing sometimes in churches. This is how we fight our battles. We fight our battles in spiritual realms by prayer. And we need to fight. We need to wrestle. Spiritual warfare is a real thing and it impacts our lives. And we would do well to recognize that. It reminds me of a couple of years ago here, we had an outlet, an electrical outlet here in the church building that wasn't working. And we had flipped the breaker back and forth and plugged things in and it just wasn't working. Eventually determined that the outlet itself was past its prime and needed to be replaced. Now, I know enough to be dangerous. I can tell you that. I know enough to be dangerous. And so I thought, I've switched outlets before. I've replaced outlets in my own home. I'm going to replace this one. And so I bought the new outlet at the hardware store. And I came over here and I thought, I can swap this out in about 15 minutes. This is going to be no problem at all. Let me impress you by how much I know. I know that before you start working on an electrical outlet, you should turn the breaker off. I just want to say, I can see Jimmy Cahall over here. He's already praying for me. He's already praying for me. <laughs> you should turn the breaker off. Can I get an amen from, from Brother Cahall here? Right, right, right. You should turn. And so, you know what I did? I turned the breaker off. Thank you, Jesus. I turned the breaker off. And I tested that outlet. I plugged something in and it, it was off. And now, when you have a, an electrical outlet, you have two wires coming to it. You have... You have the hot wire and you have the neutral wire and both of them carry a charge, but I've got the breaker off now, so we're good. So I unscrew that bad boy and I reach in there and I draw it and pull it and, I, and just as I shock my hand, that'll wake you up. That'll wake you up. So I think, did I not get that breaker right? So I go back to the board and the breaker appears to be off, but I toggle it back on for it and then toggle it back off. And then I take and I go and I check it. Okay, it's off now. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> and I get a second charge. I'm nothing if not stubborn. I tried a third time. Mm, my ticker's in good shape. I got that third shock and I thought, you know what? I need some help here. And so... I called, actually, I called your dad. I called Jim Kahl Sr. He was in the area, and he says, oh, you know what it might be? It might be a common neutral. And I said, yeah, you're right. It could be that. 
Um, just out of curiosity, what do you, what do you think that means? <laughs> See, it turns out that there's, there's the hot wire and there's the neutral wire, and there's a different hot wire that goes to every circuit, but sometimes the electrician reuses the same neutral line. And so when you turn the circuit off, it, it cuts power to the hot wire, but maybe that neutral wire is coming from another circuit. And if you didn't know that, and if you didn't test that, and if you didn't turn that other circuit off, then when you go to grab the outlet, you're going to get that little shock from the neutral wire. And it doesn't matter how many times you turn off the circuit that you think you're working with, if it's got a neutral being run from another circuit, you're going to get shocked. I didn't understand what I was doing that day, and power from an unseen source shocked me. Here's why I tell that story, because in the spiritual realm, if we don't understand what, our, what we're doing, power from an unseen source can hurt us. Our lives can be impacted, even if we don't recognize that it's present. You might think that spiritual warfare is a topic that's too mysterious or too complicated. For some of us, it's too scary to focus on. And maybe, maybe you've met one of those Christians who's actually on the other end of the spectrum. They're so obsessed with spiritual warfare that they go around trying to cast demons out of every traffic light if it's running when you get to it, you know, in the name of Jesus. And you're like, oh, maybe that, that's been a turnoff to you. Now, I, I would agree that, that some have taken this principle maybe uh, a, a bit too far, but that doesn't mean that the rest of us should ignore it. It doesn't mean that the rest of us should just embrace our ignorance saying, well, what we don't know can't hurt us, as I did with the electrical outlet, because spiritual warfare is real and a power from an unknown source still has the, the ability and the authority to impact your lives. Spiritual warfare will impact your life, your life, whether you wish to acknowledge it or not. And if that idea seems intimidating or even frightening to you, well, guess what? You're in very, very good company. Daniel's strength is draining as he hears these words. He's frightened too. At one point he says, my strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. I wonder how many of us can identify with that. My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. We're, we're confronted with the reality of evil or ruin, as, as we've been calling it. Our eyes are suddenly open to the depths of spiritual warfare that rages around us. And it feels like, have you ever felt this way? It feels like the more God reveals to you, the more God shows you, the more overwhelmed we are. Every realization brings a new gut punch of fear, and it feels like I can't go on any further. Daniel's words, as I just said, were my strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. But I think in similar moments, we tend to say things like my anxiety is peaking. I'm having a panic attack or I feel like I can't get out of bed today. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe, maybe just maybe in that moment you have this sense. I know I've had it where you just want everything to stop. Maybe everything within you wants to run away if only you had the strength and the ability to run away. Your heart cries, stop the ride, I wanna get off. I was reading in the 55th Psalm today and these words came to mind in this context. The Psalmist writes, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. 
Horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. I read those words this week and I thought, boy, I know what that feels like. That's what despair feels like. And in moments like these, it can feel like God is the one who brought the despair into my life. After all, Daniel and his buddies were just trying to enjoy a day by the riverside. You could argue that everything was normal until God's messenger showed up. Why would God do that to his righteous people? But church, God is not the author of despair. Look at what happens next in the story. I'm reading now still from chapter 10 in verse 18. Daniel records, then the one who looked like a man touched me again. This is after Daniel said how afraid he is. And I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are precious to God. Peace, be encouraged and be strong. And as he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger. And I said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. If you're going through a season of despair and of pain and of anguish, I'd invite you to listen into the words that God speaks to his servants in times like those. Don't be afraid, for you are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, and be strong. Could that be a word for you today? God's words bring comfort and strength to the righteous. I know a lot of Christians who are uncomfortable, maybe even fearful anytime the pastor wants to talk about spiritual warfare or the work of Satan or end time events or trials and tribulations. And Daniel's vision included all four of those things. They were firing on all cylinders that day. But his experiences are a reminder that even if the topic is frightening, God is not. His words to us bring, bring us comfort and strength, especially when the circumstances of the world are inviting us to fear and despair. His righteous children have no need to fear, for they are very precious to him. They are precious to him. Now, over the next several paragraphs of the story, into and Throughout the entirety of chapter 11, the angel gives Daniel this message. He says it was a message concerning your future. He tells him in very, very great detail about the historical events that are going to take place over the next few centuries. He talks about the fall of the Persian Empire. He talks about the rise of the Greek Empire. He talks about the fall of the Greek Empire after the death of Alexander the Great. He talks about the regional wars that would follow that. There's very, very precise historical information in Daniel chapter 11. Information about kings, armies, navies, empires, and alliances. And the information in chapter 11 is so specific that for many, many years, critics presume that this portion of Daniel must have been added many centuries later by people who knew how history 
had unfolded. And then in 1947, a little boy in Israel discovered some old pottery in some caves. And he notified the authorities and they opened up the the pottery and discovered what we refer to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And among the many, many uh, scrolls found in those caves were passages from almost the entire book of Daniel, including Daniel chapter 11, dating a couple of centuries prior to the time of Christ, proving that the book of Daniel was as old as it claimed to be, that the additions that the critics thought must have come later couldn't possibly have come later because the people living in the days they were being fulfilled were already reading them in what even to them were ancient, ancient texts. God really had been revealing the future in precise detail. In any case, You could read through Daniel chapter 11 on your own if you choose to. I'm not going to read it for you today. You could read through it with your Bible on one side and a history book on the other, and you could see how closely they line up. Many of the details are amazingly clear-cut, but as is often the case with biblical prophecy, there are many things that remain mysterious. Much of what's written in chapter 11 was fulfilled literally by the time Jesus walked the earth, But like many other biblical prophecies, we have this sense that the themes will echo again and again throughout time, even up to and including the final days of history. Just like other passages we've read in Daniel, there's there's math. Bring your calculator if you read this part. But I can tell you, you're not likely to figure too much of it out. There's no consensus among scholars about how the numbers work out or what years in particular they might refer to. This much is sure, though. As confusing as these passages are to you and I, they would have been way more confusing to Daniel. And that's why as we turn the page into chapter 12, we find Daniel asking the angel directly for a clearer explanation. But the angel just tells him the prophecies are just going to have to make more sense in the future. You see, Daniel's job is to be the steward of the message but he will never completely realize its implications. So where does that leave Daniel? It's kind of an unsatisfying conclusion if you ask me. You see, he spent his entire life trying to live righteously in the land of ruin. And God has spoken directly and powerfully to him. He has used Daniel's life in mighty ways, but Daniel still doesn't fully understand God's plans or God's purposes. What has all of this meant? What is God's purpose in everything Daniel has experienced and learned? What is Daniel supposed to do now? In the final verse of the entire book, we get an answer to that question. Daniel's kind of the one asking it. He's saying, you're showing me all of this, God, but what do I do now? What now? The answer comes in Daniel chapter 12, verse 13. The angel says to Daniel this, as for you, go your way until the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. Can I paraphrase that for a moment? He says, Daniel, 
move forward. Live your life. Live your life faithfully. And when God calls you home, enter into your rest and reward. That's your job. This is the last verse in the book of Daniel, and in some ways I feel like it's the most important one, especially if we're coming to the book asking questions about how to live righteously in ruin. Because that's really been Daniel's story, hasn't it? There have certainly been these flashes of great drama. There's been dream interpretations. There's been handwriting on the wall. There's been the lion's den. But those stories represent only fleeting moments. And they're painted against the backdrop of decade after decade after ruinous decade of life as usual in Babylon. So let me ask you this. What, in your opinion, what was Daniel's most important contribution to the kingdom of God? Was it a single night spent in the lion's den? Or was it 70 years of faithful righteousness in Babylon? Which, Which one of those two things requires a greater measure of godly strength? Don, I'm with you. And I'm deeply suspicious that Daniel would tell us, no, it it, it was the 70 years in Babylon. It was day after day after unspectacular day of nothing in particular happening, but God calling me to walk faithfully again and again and again. And I think that's why the angel is reminding Daniel that He doesn't need to prepare for another mighty feat of godly strength. There are no more lion's dens in his future. There are no more fiery furnaces in his future. Instead, he needs to simply go his way. Just go your way, Daniel. Just go your way. That is, he needs to live his life. He needs to depend on God. He needs to trust that his future is in God's hands. Because that's what righteousness looks like in Babylon. God's strength allows righteousness to faithfully endure a lifetime of ruin. I feel like Daniel is one of the most relatable characters in the entire Old Testament. Because that's my name. (laughs) Just so happens. Yeah, just just so happens. No, but I, I do. I feel like he's one of the most relatable characters in the entire Old Testament. Not, not of course, because of his miraculous gifts. No, most of us are not going to be able to relate to Daniel on that level. Most of us are not going to be able to relate to Daniel on the level of his career path. Most of us won't be able to relate to this part of Daniel's story where we we never really encounter a flaw or a mistake or a misstep. Most of us aren't going to be able to relate to that aspect of who Daniel was. But I think that anyone who has chosen to submit their life to Jesus can relate to the story of a man who spent his entire life trying to embrace righteousness while surrounded by ruin. We can relate to a man living in a kingdom very different from the one he was created for. We can relate to a man who goes to work every day submerged in a political machine that runs contrary to many of his deepest personal convictions. 
We can relate to a man who often feels like the world is against him and he can find, at best, only a handful of true friends who share his faith and share his values. We can relate to a man who recognizes that even God's word affirms that these kinds of challenges are not just simply going to reverse themselves. The details of life are going to change over time. The Babylonians are going to become the Persians. But the nature of your struggle sure won't. He's simply going to have to find a way to live his life in the wrong kingdom. He's going to have to learn how to be righteous in ruin. And what instruction does God have for him in that endeavor? Even after 70 years of life in Babylon... Daniel still needs another reminder from the word of the Lord. Keep moving forward, Daniel. Live your life faithfully. Don't ever give up. Your rest and your reward still await you. This is what I think, church. I think righteousness isn't so much about the miracles. I think it's not about the mountaintop experiences, the glorious battles, the memorable stories, or the great feats of faith and courage. Now, some of us are going to live lives punctuated with things like that, but don't mistake those moments for the definition of righteousness. Because even in the case of Daniel, those moments came only every decade or two. No, I, I think righteousness is more about the daily faithful journey of men and women like Daniel who would spend their lifetimes with a conviction that there is another kingdom. There is a kingdom that matters more. There is a kingdom that promises more. There is a kingdom that delivers more. And righteousness is expressed in the manner that people like that allow the ways of that other kingdom to define their lives in Babylon living as expatriates in worldly kingdoms of ruin. Righteousness is told best, I think, in the boring moments, in the ordinary, in the mundane. Righteousness is proclaimed not only in the prayers from the lion's den, but just as well in the prayers on a Monday afternoon when nothing in particular is going on. Righteousness is a lifelong pursuit. It's a story that can't be told in a single moment or a single day or even in a single year. The story of righteousness can only be discerned in a lifetime. In that moment when the righteous judge says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into my rest and receive your reward. And so my advice for you, if you'll consider it, having the, followed the story of a young boy who had his life ripped from him and spent the rest of his decades serving the very ones who inflicted that evil upon him. What does God require of you? Which battle is yours? Which victory do you have to struggle for? I think we do better to leave those questions aside 
and instead hear what God said to Daniel. Go your way. Live each day of your life, not as a warrior, but as a witness. A witness to a kingdom that the rest of the world does not see. Remain faithful to the end, knowing that he who called you is faithful. Your reward awaits. Would you pray? Father, I want to pray first for those in our midst who more than any other word that was spoken today identified with that great man Daniel who said, my strength is gone from me and I can't go on. My strength is gone from me and I can't move on. Even the greatest heroes of our faith knows, know, know what that feels like. Thank you for the beautiful simplicity that in that moment when we feel that way, your, your response, your, your answer to that question is, my child, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Father, I ask that just as that angel visited Daniel on the riverside, uh, on this day, literally on this day, on April 23rd, I pray that this April 23rd would be the day when your beloved children hear your voice saying, do not fear for you are very precious to me. You are very precious to me. You are very, very precious to me. Lord, I pray that you would rebuke the voice of the enemy. We read one of his names, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Lord, there are spiritual enemies over Downers Grove and Woodridge with assignments to speak to the people, to speak lies to the people of this congregation. And those enemies will call up every fault and every failure and say, you are worthless. But God, we hear the word of the Lord today. We hear the word of the Lord. We are precious to the Most High God. So we will not fear. We will not fear. We will not fear. And that's why you drew us together. Because God, when I'm on my own, I'm prone to fear. When I'm alone, I'm prone to hear those lies. (laughs) I'm invited to believe them. But Lord, you gave me a community. And sometimes it's easier for me to see your grace in others than it is for me to see it in myself. But seeing it in my brothers and sisters encourages my faith. It encourages my heart. It strengthens me. Lord, speak to us today. For your word strengthens and encourages us. Father, the battles that we do see in this world, oh, they're overwhelming. Empires come and go. Evil comes and goes and it leaves in its wake destruction. It seems like too much for us. Remind us by your spirit this day that you have called us Not to be warriors first, but Lord, first to be witnesses. We bear witness to another way. 
we bear witness to a kingdom that we know in our hearts because it's the kingdom we were designed for. We bear witness to a kingdom that not everybody can see right now, but there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Everyone. You bear witness to that kingdom today. So Lord, equip us and strengthen us for faithfulness to that assignment. Thank you, Lord, that the righteousness that you have called us to is, is, is spoken out in the ordinary days of a lifetime. Thank you for that journey that you have given us. Strengthen and equip us for it, we pray. In Jesus' name, we ask that you would help us to be righteous in ruin. And we know that you who have called us will accomplish it. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.